And let me echo what you've already heard. Welcome to our service today. We're so glad that you're with us. We're honored by your presence and uh, we're just tickled pink to have you here. Uh, those who are guests, you may have received a uh, card inside that packet and that's an attendance card. If you have that, pass it to the inside aisle and be picked up at this time. Now, before we get started into our lesson today, I want to uh, share some great news. Last week, six baptisms. This week, I'm expecting even more. It's exciting. Uh, I love it. Uh, it uh, involves a lot of teaching. They've got a lot of questions, but uh, hey, I don't mind it one bit. So I'm excited about that. I'm just so thankful that when I renewed my internet contract, I thought, well, I don't watch a lot of TV. I certainly don't play video games, but I'd love to have that real fast upload speed. So I went with a bigger contract. It's more expensive, but now I am so thankful to have that fast speed upload because it makes teaching so much easier online. So uh, keep those prayers going. I think a lot of great things are about to happen. I really, truly believe that, and I give God the glory, and thank you to all of you for making this possible for me to be involved. Many years ago, it was late one afternoon, I was at the church office. Actually, my next appointment with a couple, they had just called to postpone their session. Uh, they had a child who was sick. So I was kind of gathering all my belongings and I was about ready to head out the door. That's when I heard a knock at the outside door. I went to see who it was. It was a young man, a high school student, a senior in high school, and he had a question. It turns out that he had been given, his whole class had been given the assignment, form a question, do a survey, and then compile the data. The question that he had picked was this. How does a person get saved at your church? That was the exact question he gave to me. He held up a little notebook. He said, I've been to seven other churches and I've written down their answer. I'd like to write down your answer. Well, don't you know, I was excited. You know, if this had been a cartoon, my eyes would have been about this big, okay? I was excited. I said, let's go to my office. As we walked in the office, I reached over. I had a pile of Bibles, hardback Bibles, just like this one, that I used for group study. I handed him one of those Bibles. I took one for myself, and I handed him a Bible dictionary. I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you book, chapter, and verse. And since we're using the same Bible, I'm going to give you the page number to make it a little easier. What I want to do is, that's all I want to say, is book, chapter, verse, and the page number. I want you to read that verse. Then I want you to summarize in your notebook what that verse means. I said, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I said, let's turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. I gave him the page number. 
And I said, I'm going to read this one myself. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I looked at that young man. I said, if I was summarizing that verse, I would say this. Well, it's the genealogy, so that's the family tree. So this is the family tree of Jesus. He said, yeah, that's the way I'll do it too. I said, okay, let's do it. So we went through, you probably already guessed it, the plan of salvation. We went through every verse on the plan of salvation. When we got to the end, I said, <clears throat> now I haven't influenced you in any way. All I've done is given you book, <coughs> chapter, verse, and page numbers. Now I want you to look over all these things you've written down in your notebook, and I want you to summarize what you have just read. At that moment, as he was looking over his summary statements, I reached for my phone. I had an app that I used to record my counseling sessions. I hit record. Because I just had the feeling that this could be a watershed moment. Here's what that young man <clears throat> said. He said this. These are his exact words. He said, well... Based on what I just read, the way to get saved is to believe in Jesus to the point that you would confess Jesus. And you must also repent and be baptized. And, there's a lot of ands, and that's not what the other pastors, he called them pastors, told me. You know, if you did a survey here in Hot Springs, you would find a lot of different answers to the question on how to be saved. The seven that we've been looking at, the seven have a lot of different views of this very same question. Now, we're in a series called Blueprint of the Church. Does it really matter? Does it really matter what we believe? Today we're looking at how are we saved. Now, for those of you who are new, this sermon series was inspired by a sermon I did back on January the 8th. That sermon on January the 8th was a study I did with a young man in Fort Worth, Texas. That young man, plus six more who have now entered into the study, I now have seven precious people that I'm studying with on a weekly basis. Let me say this, because I know all seven will be watching this sometime this week. Once again, I want to say thank you. Thank you for being gracious enough to allow me to share our study with all of you and with the world by way of the Internet. I appreciate it so much. Uh, I have been faithful to our promise. I promise I would not reveal your names. I have not revealed any name, not even to my wife. And I want to say this about these seven people. These seven people are so nice. They're sincere. And I want to tell you right now, in terms of doing good works, 
you would be hard-pressed to find seven better people in terms of doing good works. So seven, I love you all. Thank you. Now, let's look at what the seven said. Now, five of the seven had comments about salvation. John Doe, number one, he is a part-time minister. He said this, the Church of Christ preachers only, he emphasized the word only, only believe in water salvation. Okay, that was his comment. Mary Doe, number one, said this, in regards to her salvation, I believed and I felt, I felt Jesus come into my heart and I knew I was saved. Mary Doe, number two, she asked, well, what about John 3, 16? Just what about John 3, 16? You know what it says, don't you? Mary Doe, number three, my mama was never baptized, and I know she's in heaven. Now, John Doe, number two, which by the statement you're going to get, hey, that's the young man in Fort Worth. Okay, yeah, he's the young man in Fort Worth. He said this, growing up, the preachers we had talked about baptism all the time. Remember, he grew up attending with his family a Church of Christ in Fort Worth. We had preachers who talked about baptism all the time, but there's a lot of good people who have never been baptized. Come back tonight. Because this is part one. Tonight will be part two. The next time I preach, which will be the first Sunday in April, will be part three about this one question. Tonight, I will respond to each of these seven statements. So please come back this evening and let's study these beliefs. Meanwhile, I want to take you back about 2,000 years. 2,000 years ago, approximately, in the city of Jerusalem, it's the day of Pentecost. And guess what? It starts out just like all other days of Pentecost but it ended up being so different. This is the day that Peter and the other apostles stand up and for the very first time, they proclaim Jesus in a sermon. And what happens? Go with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Then those who gladly received His Word, the ones who received His Word, the ones who accepted His Word and what He's been talking about. And in a moment, we're going to talk about what He talked about. Those who receive, who gladly received His Word were, what's that word there? Baptized. And that day, do you see the urgency? They didn't wait a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. That day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily. Daily. I want to come back to that word daily. 
those who were being saved. What did these people do to be saved by God? That's really the question we, what we want to ask today. What did these people do to be saved by God? Now, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the beginning point. You know, if you want to win the race, I want to tell you right now, Jim, you got to enter the race. If you don't enter the race, you're never going to win the race. Let's talk about entering the race, the beginning point. These people believed. Well, what did they believe? Peter, in this sermon, talked about how they had sinned against God. And they believed it. They believed what Peter told them. Now, they also believed that despite their sins, they believed God still loved them. Peter emphasized that. What else did they believe? Well, they believed God could save them. Why? Because God was willing to place the burden of their sins on Jesus. That's good news. That's the gospel. And also, beginning point, they believed in a resurrected Jesus. Peter talks about the resurrected Jesus. Now, the seven dear people that I get to study with every week, plus the young man who interviewed all those what he called pastors, up to this point, they would agree every point of this lesson. They would be in agreement. So what makes us different? What makes us different? Well, let's look at it. We, in the Church of Christ, we believe the Bible teaches that we must try to stop living in sin and we must surrender ourselves to God. Well, folks, ditto for all the others. For the seven, they believe that. And I would say for those men that that young man interviewed, they would also say the same. But in addition to all of this, here comes the sticky point in the minds of the world. We believe the Bible teaches the necessity of baptism. The necessity of baptism. Now the others... As a general rule, the others teach that baptism is what? It's just an outward sign. You know, it's an outward sign. They say it's an outward sign of an inward faith. And it's something to be done to place oneself in a particular church. Or, or the world would teach that it's an act that your parents did to you when you were a baby. That you had no choice, you had no decision, and you had no process in the decision process. It was something your parents did to you. In contrast, in the New Testament church, we believe that salvation, it begins with a confessed belief. It continues with repentance. So we got a confessed belief. We got repentance. And it is what completed. Notice that word in red. That is so important. It's completed in baptism. 
Each step is vital to salvation. Now, to us, this is a pick-your-battles challenge that we must lovingly defend. Now, you know, there's a lot of things that um, it doesn't matter, you know. If you say squeeze the toothpaste from the middle and I say squeeze it from the end, it doesn't really matter. If you say mount the toilet paper so it rolls from the top and I say mount it so it rolls from the bottom, that really doesn't matter. This is one that matters. Does it really matter? Yes, it really does matter. Matthew chapter 7. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Let's look at verse number 21, 22, and 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he, this is the ones that will enter, he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Remember what Jesus said, John 14, 15, If you love me, you'll keep my what? Commandments. Many will say to me, to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? These are good people. These are people who were involved in good works. Unfortunately, they had not obeyed God. They had not obeyed God. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. That right there is so scary to me. Depart from me. And what does he do? He follows that up with the parable of the two builders. Verse number 24, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, following God, doing his will, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Folks, good intentions, feelings will not matter. It's obedience. Faithful obedience, that matters. Well, let's look at a story. Um, let's go back to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. We got, we got the camp of Israel. They're outside the city of Jericho. Notice what God says to Joshua, verse 3. You shall march around the city. All you men of war, you shall go all around the city once, one time. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Seven is that perfect number. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Now, one of the smartest men I know personally is Billy Hayes. He's smart. I'm going to ask Billy a question here. What if I'm Joshua? And, you know, they're out there, we're out there marching around that city. This is the third day we marched. Nothing's happened. 
Nothing's happened. And guess what? They're making fun of us. I don't like this. This is a little dangerous. You know, they can take pot shots at us. I'm just not going to do that anymore. Billy, would the walls have come down if Joshua took that attitude? No, sir. It took full obedience to bring down those walls. Another example would be uh, the man Naaman. Remember, the prophet told him, go dip seven times in the river Jordan. Remember what he said? We got a lot better rivers back in Syria, back where my homeland is. They're a lot better, a lot cleaner, a lot nicer. What if he had went back to Syria? Would he have been cleansed? No. Well, he finally was persuaded to go to the River Jordan. Was he cleansed after that first dip? Did he go down that first time and instantly cleanse? No. Not until he had obeyed God's word through the prophet was he cleansed. You see, there is a necessity of full obedience. Now, this is not legalism. This is what we call faith. Hebrews 11, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. It was by faith in God's promise. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Now, let me give you the contrast. People out there in the world, while others teach that baptism is not necessary for salvation, here is what I get so frustrated with. They will often teach that baptism is necessary to be a member in their church. I think, huh? What? <laughs> that don't make sense. But that's what they teach. Now, all my students that I have in Philippines, India, Kenya, Nigeria, and Ghana, all of my students know that when I do this, when I bring my hands up like this around my head, they shout, but what does the Lord, what does the Bible say? But what does the Bible say? It says that salvation and belonging to God's saved community are not separate in the Bible. No, they're not separate. It goes back to Acts chapter 2 again. I said that I would talk about that word daily. Let's read that verse again. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church once a month, twice a year, once a week, after you passed inspection. No. Added to the church daily. Those who were being saved. You see, salvation and being part of the church happened at the same time. You go down in the water, you're not saved yet. You're not part of the church. You're in the water, you're not saved yet. You're not part of the church. You come up out of the water, guess what? You are now saved your sins are washed away, and you're part of God's church. Now, for the first approximately 1,500 years of church history, it was taught that baptism was necessary for salvation and church membership. Now, pause right there for a moment. 
One of the early departures from the faith was infant baptism. You had a high death rate among infants. Parents were concerned. They wrongly concluded that their babies were sinful. And that's how you kind of, in a roundabout way, came about with infant baptism. But now here's the point. For the first 1,500 years, even if they practiced baptism the wrong way, in other words, infant baptism, they were still teaching that it was necessary for salvation and it was necessary for church membership. That changed in the early 1500s. A reformer, you can see his name either spelled with an H or sometimes without an H, Ulrich Zwingli. He concluded that the apostles, all those inspired men, and everyone after them were wrong. In fact, here's a quote from him. In this matter of baptism, I can only conclude that all the doctors, he called educated men doctors, Bible scholars, he called them doctors, that all the doctors have been in error from the time of the apostles. Why would he say that? Well, he came to teach that baptism was a public announcement just for the church benefit. And it was a public sign. He compared it to Old Testament circumcision. You see, he had a problem. Here's the problem. Some of the early reformers were questioning infant baptism. And rightly so. It's wrong. But they were questioning it. So he needed this conclusion to support his rationale for infant baptism. Now, you may not know his name, but you know the name of the next guy. His beliefs were adopted by another reformer, John Calvin, the father of Calvinism. John Calvin's doctrine shaped most denominations that emerged from the Reformation. If you do, if you trace it all back, you trace it back to John Calvin. Now, they taught that baptism and salvation were separate. But the Bible teaches a clear connection. Let's look at these passages. And I want you to do exactly what that young man did who was doing that survey. I want you to think about these passages. And in your mind, I want you to summarize these passages. Let's first go to Acts 2, 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for, circle that word for, for what? The remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How would you how would you summarize this passage? If I was summarizing the passage, I'd say, well, repentance and baptism is necessary if I want to have my sins remitted, forgiven, remission of my sins. Next, Acts 22, 16. Acts 22, 16. This is Ananias speaking to the man at that point named Saul. 
And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. How would you summarize this passage? If I was summarizing this passage, I'd say, well, this man Saul still had a sin problem, even though he's been repenting now for three days. This man really believed. And Ananias says, to get away from those sins, to have those sins washed away, you need to be baptized. Well, how about Matthew 28? Matthew 28. These are words from Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How would you summarize that passage? Well, I would say we got to go, we got to teach, we got to baptize people in the name of Father God, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we got to teach them to obey. Well, how about another one? Mark 16. Mark 16, verse 15. Mark 16, verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. How would I summarize that? Go, preach. Verse 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. That's my summary statement right there. You believe, you're baptized, you'll be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Got to have faith. Faith is that starting point. How would you summarize that passage? Let's do another one. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism to death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. All these passages were passages that I shared with that young man so many years ago. Now this evening, this evening, we're going to examine the remaining passages. We've still got several more. Plus, I'm going to reply to the statements of the seven. So please come back tonight for part two. Part three will be on the first Sunday in April, Lord willing. Meanwhile, do we have someone here who's not a Christian? If you're not a Christian, you've got to believe. John 8, 24. You've got to repent, Luke 13, 3. You've got to confess, Matthew 10, 32. You've got to be baptized, Matthew 28. These are not my words, every verse listed there. If you've got one of those red letter Bibles, that's in red because Jesus is doing the talking. By the way, that young man that was doing that survey, I eventually baptized him. He could see the simple truth. Can you not see the simple truth? As a Christian, do you need to seek forgiveness? Isn't it wonderful that he will forgive? 
the church stands ready to pray for you and with you. We'll have two elders up here waiting for you. If you have any need to respond, please do so as we stand and sing for your encouragement.